Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. Guess who's back in the house? Texas Slim! Texas Slim is back. Been about a year since we recorded our first episode. A lot has happened in that year. That's what Slim and I just talked about. There's a lot of momentum here. Take agency over your life. Take agency over your health. Go direct to the source. Go shake a rancher's hand. Get that good, high-quality beef. we got to flip the table here, freaks. They're poisoning you. They're poisoning you. It's all in the data. Diabetes, medicines that are needed, heart disease. A generation, two generations, arguably, that have been poisoned by the food industry and the governments that are enabling them with their guidelines. We talk all about it. This rip is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to change the game in the trading world or the Bitcoin acquisition world. They, they've devised a product that is the most secure way to buy Bitcoin. You go to unchained.com slash trading. You buy Bitcoin and it goes straight to a two or three multi-sig vault that you set up. Straight to cold storage. Multi-sig cold storage with geographically dispersed keys that significantly reduce the potential for single points of failure. No more fumbling with hardware wallets to produce an address that you then paste into the exchange. And then you worry, like, did I put the right address in? What's going on here? When I hit send, is it going to come? Get that stress. Unchained takes it away from you by sending it directly to your 2 or 3 multi-sig vault. They never hold the Bitcoin for you. You own it directly. You buy it. You own it directly. You have control over it since you have two of the three keys in the two or three multi-seat quorum. This is the best way to buy Bitcoin. I've used the product to work seamlessly. And it's a, an incredible thing to see. They're iterating. They're bringing you more services at Unchained.com. The ability to easily buy Bitcoin directly to cold storage is the latest service. There is more to come. Go to www.unchained.com slash trading to talk to their their training team to get onboarded onto that product to figure out how to buy Bitcoin there. Available in 31 states right now. They're working on 50. Unchained.com slash trading. This rope is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. What can I say about Brains? Pretty hot company. Pretty hot company. They work with ASICs. ASICs get hot by the transitive property. Brains is hot. They got that hot data on insights.brains.com. They got that hot pool at Brains Pool. You can put your hash to Brains Pool. Longest standing pool in Bitcoin's existence. Been around for over a decade. Pretty badass. Pretty hot. They've got Brains OS Plus firmware. Which helps you stack more sats. You look hotter when you stack more sats. You're a dude miner or a chick miner. If you if you're stacking more sats because you're using Brains OS Plus firmware with compatible ASICs, you just look hotter. Don't trust me, trust the science. Scientists have, have said this. They've done, they've done the research. They've run the experiments. Running Brains OS Plus firmware with compatible ASICs makes you hotter. Do you want to be hot? Go download the firmware. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out all this stuff. This was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform. No KYC, no AML. Again, peer-to-peer -peer 
very low rates as well. You put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow account as collateral. You hold one key, your counterparty in the, the, the loan holds another key and HODL, HODL holds the third key. You have visibility into this wallet since you hold a key. So you can have confidence that your your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated. And if you're paying your loan back plus the interest, you're going to get your stats back at the end of the day. If somebody has stable coins, you want to get yield on that, you enter the other side. You lend your stable coins out. Somebody looking to use Bitcoin as collateral for liquidity. And then they pay you back what you lent them plus interest that you decide peer-to-peer. You guys come to terms. Lend.hodlhodl.com. Okay, YC. No AML. Peer-to-peer. Lower rates. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. Upstream Data is here to bring you all the mining infrastructure that you need. Whether you're an upstream oil and gas company using excess natural gas to mine Bitcoin, they have the hash huts for you. Hash huts come with generators that are purpose-built for Bitcoin mining. I am the owner of a 50 kilowatt hash hut and many more actually now. And they're beautiful, flawless products. They just work. Isn't that what you want these days? There's a lot of shit out there that just doesn't work. Not upstream data's hash shots. They just work. Whether you're a large oil and gas producer, a small producer, a utilities company with excess electricity, upstream has the hash shots for you. Different sizes, 50 kilowatt, 180 kilowatt, 900 kilowatt. They're working on other sizes as well. They will build the product for your needs. Go to upstreamdata.ca, talk to their sales team, tell them the CFTC sent you, um, and get you everything. Hash outs, generator, miners, whatever you need. And if you're an at-home miner, they have the black box. If you use the code freaks at shop.upstreamdata.ca, you're going to get 5% off a black box, which allows you to put a couple of ASICs in it. You shut the box. You can mine on the side of your house without the annoying... You don't get that loud sound. You get you get a, a small ASIC whisper. It goes, ah, oh, you're stacking sats. You're getting hotter. This is awesome. You're going to be so fucking hot. With all the sats that you're stacking on the side of your house. It's, it's really... I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're getting hotter. Because you're stacking more sats. It's a beautiful thing. You can buy a... Uh, a black box bundle too where you get the black box and the ASICs upstream will do that for you again go to shop.upstreamdata.ca to check this out and enjoy this rip with Texas Slim you've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free if you talk about a Fed just gone nuts all, all the central banks going nuts so it's all acting like safe haven I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Welcome back, sir. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm tired. Yeah, why are you tired? Just not getting much sleep these days. Well, you're international these days, so, you know, you have kids and you have a new one and you have one that's running around probably uh causing a little chaos a lot of chaos yeah he's good doing ca- good chaos though. good chaos well you can classify it any way you want he's a little boy so he needs to raise hell yeah and yeah. he is he's, he's doing his part there <laughs> good <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's all that matters that's all our job is is to allow the chaos and kind of corral it in when needed oh yeah channel it 
Yeah. He's a very good wrestler already. Is he? Did you grow up wrestling? No. Oh, I grew up wrestling my brother. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> never uh, never structured. Did y'all ever do a fist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nonstop? Oh, yeah. We're, yeah. we're 11 months apart, so there was oh, my a lot gosh. of... Um, okay. There was a lot of uh, posturing growing up, particularly when we got uh, into middle and high school. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I went to college... That immediately stopped. And now you guys get along really well. Yeah. You love each other. We do. He works right down the hall. <laughs> he saved my ass yesterday. Did he? I was here. Uh, and our oldest was mm-hmm. was, was uh, raising hell. Yeah. And uh, my brother's got a pool over where he lives. So we let my wife and my son go hang out in the pool for a while. Saved our day. Good deal. Yeah. Family important it is yeah it's why we're here it is isn't it but apparently the family uh is not essential to some people i think that i saw some stupid messaging on on twitter the other day about you know let's let's lose the family yeah we need to lose it yeah let's hand them over to the state one part of that thread if we're thinking about the same thread (laughs) was eliminate the kitchen yes everybody should order out well, wasn't I, it's been a year since I've been in here, right? Yeah. When we first started this. And we started. Well, over at your place. Over my place in the cold. Mm-hmm. It was a good first rep. It was. It was uh, It was actually magical because look what we did in a year. And one thing that we were talking about was a global marketing plan that was going to come after our food. Yeah. And we were saying it last year at this time, saying, get ready because they're going to start doing some shit. And it's going to be basically directed at taking nutrition out of our basically our households out of our mindsets out of our families out of the kitchen yeah and it's escalated pretty quickly mm-hmm i moved uh, moved pretty fast actually they they uh they had some momentum you know after the global marketing plan of that thing that virus thing and so now they're they're going to keep on continuing because they've spent hundreds of billions of dollars in ways that people have no idea yeah do you think they're being successful at all i think their campaign's faltering you see like uh what was it impossible foods or yeah impossible burger impossible foods impossible meats all the i don't know i think there's beyond 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 they're like close to bankruptcy aren't they yeah but see i think that honestly personally from what i know and everything that i've taken into this discussion i think that's just the distraction it's always been the distraction and that's how they work we're not going to go out there and eat that shit. It's dog food. We know it, right? Yeah. You took a picture at a supermarket the other day. Of, yeah. Wasn't that the, fascinating? Uh, the meatless. That's right here in Austin, Texas. Deli. It's yeah. disgusting. It is. It's you know where that you know where that counter was. No. Is before you got to the beef. <laughs> you know how Central Market is mm-hmm. and how you kind of go as a maze. You know, getting your cheese and shit like a like a rat. Well, they've got that right when you walk through produce, you go right in and it's just a big old counter there, brand new, and they've got it loaded up and you gotta pass it before you get to, you know, animal proteins. Well it's funny how it stays loaded up. Mm-hmm. Nobody buys that shit. No, it's <laughs> you know, I flew to Japan once and you get it in you ever flow you've flown into Japan? Tokyo? Never been to Japan. Okay. Um, you fly in there and most of their stuff is behind glass and it's like plastic you know and it's like going to you know one of these like denny's that you know have pictures on the menu if mm-hmm. you go into japan well they always have representation of food in plastic that's what it reminded me of you know something that's definitely artificial <laughs> so it doesn't even look real yeah that's been a 
a very powerful content form that you've adopted is going into these supermarkets or convenience stores. The one you posted, like you were in the middle of the aisle, just like looking at all the candy and yeah. all the shit and like, they're just poisoning you. And it's, it's funny because my whole life I've been going in to these stores and it's just considered normal but right. when you like take the time to actually like record a video with intention to mm -hmm. point out the insanity of it all it's like holy crap they are like poisoning us they're really i mean it is and i'm not one to do that too often but you know i, I went on shit since since late may you know i've been on the road and i've been in here several times i launched going to tennessee from here and as the more i traveled you know i just started seeing this consistency you know from the convenience stores to supermarkets because i don't go into supermarkets anymore i really you know designed my life where saying screw that you know i'm not going to validate it anymore and you go in there and you take a different perspective just like you said it's a freaking cartoon world it really is literally literally have cartoon characters marketing and, to you yeah and you know i think it was it was either your podcast or i don't might have been princey's but i said i'm gonna live rent free in your head from here on out you either gonna like me or hate me <laughs> you know and i don't i want people to be disgusted with the supermarkets that's what we should be we gotta quit validating this shit yeah simple as that especially as bitcoiners it's killing us yeah it really is i mean we got the proof yeah and it's and it's like especially like it's another thing that's been weighing on my mind the last couple of weeks is like the gravity of what's going on in the broader macroeconomic landscape right mm -hmm. now like yeah the great british pound faltering yeah the yen faltering yeah bond yields going crazy and people are like there was a chart that we brought up on rabbit hole recap yesterday that highlighted the amount of wealth that's been destroyed this year and it dwarfs what happened in 2008 so you have this backdrop you know this financial calamity underway most people don't realize it yet but you have a bunch of people who are losing their retirement accounts who are going to be losing their jobs who are losing losing their purchasing power and looking forward trying to prepare yeah for that that's usually when the state steps in and says hey here we'll help you here's your rations for mm -hmm. Well, and that's from the very beginning, that's what they've had planned. And there's, you know, there was something that came out back in 2017, 2018. You look at that time, that's when I talked about the consolidations of the chemical grain companies and of the, the food corporations, you know, the multinational food corporations. And for all the researchers out there, look up Eat uh, Lancet. Well, they had they had billions and billions of dollars already invested in what's transpiring now. And I keep on saying this phrase, it's a global industrial food shift. So what does that mean? Right? It's like, well, anytime you have an industrial shift, it means you take everything to the ground and you build it back up. You know, we've seen the processing plants, we've seen, you know, the messaging, the signaling, the, you know, the virtue signaling about food, you know, saving the planet. All this has been planned for a long time. It's just that people aren't pay, not able to pay attention or too busy or a sense of complacency, you know, with food because it's always there, right? And that's where they get their, their confidence and you're saying, hey, you know, the state steps in this global industrial food shift is exactly what's going to happen. They're going to deprive us of certain types of proteins and they're going to say, Hey, you know, we've got this, 
we've got you. We've been planning for this. You know, this is part of climate change. You're going to be a good consumer now. We're going to we're going to look at health now. Do you, I, somebody told me yesterday that Biden thing came out and said, "Well, we now understand how important nutrition is to your health." Think about that. Nutrition is to your health. They're acknowledging nutrition. So they're going to step in with that statement and then they'll come in with something else saying, "Hey, this type of nutrition that we've developed within this industrial food shift is, is how we're going to move forward, you know, especially in the Western countries. Enjoy your cricket powder. It's pretty much. And that's the deception I was talking about. It's like, okay, I'm looking at that steak, that 3d, that stem cell steak, that whatever the hell it is that beyond meat. And I'm saying, Oh, hell no. I, you know, I ain't eating that shit. You know, I'm Texas slim, but you, what you're doing is they're sneaking in that fake commodity that, uh, you know, that they did, had very good success in the seventies that evolved us to here, you know, with all the seed oils and the, you know, the, the high fructose, all the fake commodities that were developed in the seventies, that's a new layer of fake commodities that will be injected into our food supply in certain highly processed foods. We won't even know what it's called because of the labeling laws changes that they've had. You know, we've talked about that, you know, the FDA, the gross rule, all that they'll, they'll be able to put cricket dust into anything, just like they put canola rapeseed into anything. And so once again, that's basically devaluing the food. It's continuing their yields and their profit margins and they're not losing out, but we're gradually declining with our metabolical health. That's exactly how it, works and they know it works because it tastes good yeah and the, i mean you, you you've labeled it a deception mm-hmm. and that's been a big topic of conversation on this show in recent months is it nefarious intention or is it pure incompetence and i'm matt and i are like angel devil in this conversation right. and i i'm like sold that it's nefarious in nature because when you consider the degradation in health that these policies these nutrition policies will lead to and the healthcare costs on the back end like it's not good like if you're trying to lower costs for people in the long run just like the fact that you're making people more and more unhealthy is just raising those healthcare costs which will far exceed um, any savings that you would get from the cheaper shit food that you're providing people. So like they really don't care about health or costs at the end of the day. It seems like control mm-hmm. is the intent behind all of this. You know, we, you look at it and I look at my family, my extended family, we all came from the same dirt in Texas, the same farm, the same grandfather, let's put it that way. And you look at a lot of the metabolical health in my family and you say, well, you know, look where we are now. A lot of health problems, you know, extended cousins, you know, stuff like that. You look at it and you don't want to think it, it is nefarious. Probably in the beginning it wasn't. I don't know. I, I'm not going to be that person to say it. But at this point in time, the collective of the, the basically the impact, you know, the medical, pharmaceutical, agricultural complex, they are hand in hand working together to make profits and control. And they have to control you to make those profits. They have to control a industry and an apparatus in which they all participated into engineer. So at this point in time, they know what's going on with our health. 
they know what they're injecting into our food supplies. And you have a lot of layers there, you know, as far as those touch points that I talk about. Extremely good people all the way through those touch points, trying to make a living, trying to raise families, trying to to do the American dream, whatever you want to say. And so it's such a, a mixture, you know, just like our food is now that in the end, you know, you look at how we've subsidized and commoditized a food system that's never been done in the history of man. Well, it's not going in the right direction. And they know that they have lost a lot of the of the the narrative and the signal is changing. And I think they're covering their ass right now. And I think it is nefarious. 100%. Yeah. And then you see all these processing plants <laughs> just go up in flames, like the one in France earlier this week. Yeah, and that's the, the biggest whole, wholesale produce place in the world. Yeah. That doesn't happen. So, yeah. you know, it's you, you can say, and that's, that's where I'm at right now is like, I don't want to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it. It's like, I told you so. Let's wake the fuck up here. Let's pay attention to what's happened let's pay attention to where we are and whenever this stuff happens we don't have to be so distraught about it because we've got especially us as as far as us ranchers and us bitcoiners we already have a plan we're already innovated through that we have to lead now we can't be following anymore we yeah. can't be sitting on our hands yeah no we cannot but this is also a good point in the conversation to point out the wins it's something we're trying to do more here because obviously things are very heavy mm -hmm. around the world both from a food perspective financial perspective they uh, there's a lot of stress out there yeah let's focus on the good things there's been a lot of wins this year hell yeah i think there's definitely <laughs> a growing movement against seed oils shout out to the seed oil disrespecters out there 100 i know there's a restaurant group that just got some funding that's mm -hmm. um going to spin up a bunch of restaurants that don't use any seed oils and, and depend on things like beef tallow and stuff that was traditionally used before seed oils were introduced um the, the meat mafia guys are doing a really good job to educate yep. people about health and wellness mm -hmm. it does seem that there have been some wins this year what, what are what are the wins in your mind I think everything you just said, because, you know, the meat mafia guys, Harrison and Brett, you know, Harrison came to me in the very beginning. And I said, start writing. I'll just put you through the Substack." And by him doing that, you know, they, man, they just took off. Right. So that everybody was wanting to hear what they had to say, or they didn't know that they wanted to hear it and they heard it and they said, hell yeah. And so that type of collaboration that we've established, you know, in people actually having a pedestal to speak upon, it's a huge win. Um, I have, you know, somebody, a Hoosier Hoddle, you know, he came to the Kerrville and, and now he's opening a restaurant in Indiana and it's all locally sourced food. You know, it's exactly what we've been talking about. So across the spectrum, especially in the United States, everybody are starting to understand the decentralization of their food is the most important thing that they need to be doing moving forward and from restaurants to processing centers to ranchers to market access to consumer demand uh collectively i think that we we've had probably 10 times more of the success than you know i could have dreamt 
personally, as far as the beef initiative and all of the ranchers that are within the beef initiative, we're opening up our processing plant. We're partnered up with KNC Cattle, Cole Bolton, right here south of Austin. That is unheard of as far as having that type of evolution this fast. And we now have that vertical integration back into our the best beef in the world, which is Texas beef. And so, you know, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here in Austin this weekend that, you know, I'm going down there after we finish here. And we're ready to basically, you know, yell from the mountaintop now. We've been holding our breath. It might not look like it. We haven't even got started yet. Yeah. Are we about to throw gas on this fire? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's it's about to, it's, we're, you know, I wrote an article. Uh, I've got two new writers that had come through. Uh, Aiden, he came through the Substack. He's writing about a new uh, producer that we're bringing in from Wisconsin. His name is Peter Allen, Bastodon Farms fascinating story people are just gonna love it and so and then we had jackson he wrote about the texas cattle drive and so pouring gas on that fire i wanted to do some history let's look at texas texas once fed the nation when you and i and parker sat in here and you know we talked about that by saying that we're at a position now you know especially here in central texas and especially with the beef initiative KNC cattle, you know, Jason, Rick in Colorado, we got Tennessee, we got so many little nodes that we've built out. We're about to feed a nation again, and we're doing it already. And a lot of times I hold back because we hadn't had the volume, but our volume is about to increase a hundredfold. We don't have to ask for permission. So everybody out there that's selling beef online, you know, from the whole foods to the butcher boxes to all those guys, every one of them, they serve a purpose. But once again, there's deception within their marketing and with the product that you get. And that's okay because I always tell everybody Bitcoin exposes the truth. So, you know, let's go. Let's, yeah. let's get busy. I mean, we have vertical integration. Nobody can tell us that we're doing it wrong because we're taking you from the soil all the way to your fork. And, and now we have uh, full access to be able to provide to everybody across the United States to do that. We're going to about to feed the nation again. Yeah. And the there's an event in Lubbock coming up, right? It's uh, it's north of Lubbock. It's where I grew up. It's a little place called Canyon, Texas. Okay. And uh, it's right next to Paladura Canyon, which is you know we kind of talked about it. It's like you know that's it was called Camacheria, you know, back during the Comanche Wars and everything. Charles Goodnight, one of the first cattle drives, came through right through there, you know, close to it. And then I have Justin Trammell of Panhandle Meats. He opened up his processing center a little over six months ago. He's going full force. And so we're going to have a little micro summit there. I'm going to have it in a, in a city park, in a pavilion, in a pavilion kind of like what we did in Kerrville. Mm -hmm. And it's a heritage and food summit. And we're going to talk about processing centers across Texas, process, micro processing centers. We're going to talk about feeding the community, food sheds, you know, market access, heritage, where did we come from, legacy. And 10 people might show up, might have 100. I don't know. You know, it's up to everybody else to start saying, hey, I want to be part of these micro uh, summits, you know, that the Beef Initiative is leading. And after we do that one, we're going to have one in Tennessee, in Nashville. We're going to have one December 7th. You're going to be there. Yes, sir, I will. Mm -hmm. Very much looking forward to that. We're going to get some heavy hitters there, too. Yeah, we are. We're <laughs> we, have a, we have a shindig to go to on that Saturday. So, you know, we're going to have our micro summit uh, Wednesday, I believe. And then we're going to be part of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association National Convention. It's going to be you and Matt 
and it's gonna be uh jason and cole and me and then i think uh um who else is gonna be there well we're gonna have brooke miller there dr brooke miller will be there Mm. there'll be a bunch of others it's uh it's good to see this happen too because it's got i mean i've become more and more disenchanted with depending on the i mean i've never really depended on the federal government but um more disenchanted with the prospects of maybe it gets its act together it's not going to get its act together no it's people like yourself myself driving these grassroots movements to to fix these problems because they're not going to be fixed for us they're not going to and i think we all how we got here is because we're very trusting people you know we do we we trust requires a lot of courageous spirit it takes a lot of courage to trust i think that you know you look at the history of where we came from as far as rural america farmers ranchers very trusting people that trust has been so far hijacked and manipulated and stolen that you know acceptance is the key at this point in time with our food and our nutrition and our heritage and our families so i just i don't even I don't even want to validate any of the deceptions anymore. That's what I basically told everybody in Georgia. It's like, quit validating the deceptions. We don't have to. Yeah. I mean, this is what we're seeing at the macro level. Mm -hmm. The world is the way it is today, September 30th, 2022, because you're, we're watching in real time, a degradation of trust between nation states. It's yeah. And between not like nation and nation, citizen government, it's like trust citizen uh, media it's just being completely blown out in real time it's heavy to watch what makes me think you look at history and you look at you know how men treat other men humanity and this is nothing new it's new to us and once again acceptance is a key if you can if you can grasp that this is not the first time that any of this has happened that we you know we're stacking a new fake commodity fake nutritional lack of nutritional starvation a nutritional starvation in, onto society then it's not so hard to understand that this is happening and it doesn't have to be gloom and doom what it is it's you know, we've talked about it's very it's a hell of an opportunity to innovate during times of mass prohibition right and so, you know, it's depressing. You know, we, we don't want to be sitting here doing this over and over again. You know, I've been on the show five times, but something like that, you know, your show. But it's, it's, it's required. I mean, this is where we are. So if we can accept that and we can say, you know, let's have some fun doing this. Let's go race some hell. Let's do it because we know the law. We know the deceptions of the law. And we know the law better than the law knows itself sometimes. Yeah. You guys, uh, let's talk about the uh, the Georgia summit. Yeah, how was that? I'm very uh, had a lot of FOMO. Not yeah, it well, it, you know, it's in Bluffton, Georgia. Uh, White Oak Pastures is Bluffton, Georgia. It's a small town in America. You know, that's all it is. Will Harris, you know, he he basically saved that whole community by basically regenerative farming and ranching. It's been about 25 years. Yeah, I'm not sure if I mean I. No, you've told me the story. I'm not so sure if we've told it on the show yet, but that uh, Bluffton, the White Oaks, mm-hmm. uh, is regenerative farm, but it was it was originally, then it went industrial, yeah. and then they went back to regenerative. How does Will describe this 
storyline for <laughs> to start off will harris is a he's a badass he's he's a he's a great guy yeah he went on fox news and completely made that yeah uh, made that host look like an idiot because he was making some assumptions that will was an idiot and was proven to be uh pretty yeah. pretty wrong pretty quickly pretty fast and, and it's not that hard to do you know especially if you know what you're doing and you know far as far as will he comes across as he can come across as very intimidating but whenever you meet him in person you know he's, he shakes your hand he looks at you in your eyes and he's, he's very accommodating very strong spirit very articulate uh he talks georgian and so but uh it was it was a blast but to say that yeah he you know he told me the whole story you know that that farm that they're on 1866 is you know great grandfathers and i got to see all the historical pictures of you know his grandfathers just the office it's amazing and what they did is you know they stewarded that land and their heritage and family you know for many many years up until the 50s and here we go fertilizer and he told me this story about you know guy coming out and putting fertilizer out and said i'll be back in three weeks and i'll let you you know we'll, we'll talk there and you know that was the first introduction of showing fertilizer to his crops of course i mean they just they took off why not you know and so they all jumped on and from the 50s until about 25 years ago he calls them he goes i was a commodity cowboy and that's what he was and that's what his father was what what was the moment that made him return to regenerative he understood the chemical implications he understood the destruction of the soil and he felt extremely depressed he felt lost and he had to get back to the source of the seed of where he came from and by doing that he was able to give himself a vision that only he could do him the individual his father would never have let him do what he did you know, you look at how he moved into getting back into and stewarding the land in a regenerative way. You know, he went out there. He went to the library. There's a story that's like, oh, Will Harris is at the library again. He's printing off all this information. What is he doing? And that's when he started the regenerative movement within his farm and with all the land around there. And he did it against great odds. He did it, you know, in the face of adversity just like any individual does that basically pioneers into a new mindset to new lifestyle and new way to, you know, you know, new industry basically. And so, you know, there's, he's going to be on Rogan, you know, the day I got there, he said, yeah, Rogan called me and wants me to be on his show. <laughs> <laughs> Hell I was yeah. like, that was perfect. You know, it was perfect timing. And I did tell him, I said, well, you tell Rogan, you're not coming on unless I get on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> He laughed. Joe listens to the show. Joe, get him on. Get right? us all on. Yeah. But the uh, why is there this meme out there that regenerative farming is unscalable? Well, the in in and I said this first. I think I said it on your show. The next time somebody says we got to feed, feed the world, I'm gonna say fuck you. Will Harris says the same thing. Because it's true. That was a psyop. That was programming they put into our minds saying we have to do it this way. If we don't, then everybody's going to starve. Well, I guarantee you, we've never fed the world. <laughs> Not day one, have we? And, and everybody says scalable. Well, let's not talk about scalable. Let's talk about feeding your family and your communities first. That's how you feed the world. You, that's how we got here. 
that's how we we can do it again and if you go out there and you look at our food system our global industrial food system and you look at the hundreds of billions of tons of food that gets wasted every year we have plenty of food we're still having a starving planet and the amount of food waste that we we that is hidden from the general public and the 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 subsidized food that is actually just you know that that has created this nutritional starvation we've never fed the world so i don't even join that argument anymore whenever you talk about scalability well i'll tell you how you do it you feed your communities that's it that's your focus quit looking outside you look right where you're standing and you can do it and i drove across this country again this year and you want to know how much land is out there that is not being used that nobody ever sees because they're stuck behind their damn computers all the back roads all that land we have all the resources we need to feed the nation to feed our communities and everybody else around the world can feed the same way that we're doing it agreed it's crazy it's so befuddling how potent the psyops are it is like oh there's too many people on the planet we need to depopulate like we're not gonna be able to service all these people and then you're saying you you, you called me an international man because i went to latvia last month but like yeah i flew all the way across the world you look at the look at the plane going across texas across the u.s across Mm -hmm. the atlantic across europe and it's like there's so much goddamn land out here yeah it's daunting yeah i mean it really is it's fascinating how much land you know when i was on harvest last year up in north dakota I mean, just, I mean, miles and miles of flo- rolling hills, you know, and you look at all those rolling hills and well, they got a bunch of rapeseed and wheat on them and that's it, you know, soybeans. So whenever you look at feeding the world, you're damn right. We're feeding the world. You know, we have been feeding the world. You know what we haven't been feeding our communities, our families, our children, what we do is we feed the world and who is lost out? Us, the American citizens. You look at how much beef is basically killed every day in our processing plants that are stationed in the United States. Most of that beef is being sold across the world. It's not being sold in our communities. We don't have market access to all that food that we are creating we're giving it away to the highest bidders in that global industrial food apparatus. That's what people don't understand. It's like until we reverse that and say, okay, I'll give you an example and I'm going to get my ass kicked for this back home <coughs> outside of Amarillo, Texas. But what we have there is it made the news, new producer owned processing plant in Amarillo, Texas, inside the city limits. Okay, that's right in the middle of commodity cowboy country. Amarillo, Texas is the second largest stockyard in the United States for many years, you know, next to Fort Worth. Well, you get a new processing plant in in the city limits of Amarillo, Texas. It's going to kill, harvest 3,000 cattle a day. Not one of those cows are staying within a within the state or probably even the United States, they'll have a little bell and whistle here and there saying, Oh, look at us. We're going to, we're going to have this, you know, we're going to have a agreement with United supermarkets and we're (laughs) going to have this little brand of beef and it's from here. But most of that beef that is stewarded 
raised, harvested, will be shipped right off into the horizon. And that's how we're feeding the world. And everybody in Amarillo, Texas, the amount of metabolical bankruptcy that's going on there right now because of the lack of true market access to damn good beef, it's been stolen. It's been hijacked. And that's just one example. And if you look at that and you want to get into perspectives of, of feeding the world and scalability, well, once again, we're not doing it. But the marketing plan, the messaging behind that processing plan in Amarillo, Texas is what the general public sees. Once again, that's a distraction. It's not helping anybody within that community. It'll help the, the rich guys make some money off of that processing plan. And they don't have the one thing that they, they don't have set right now with that processing center in Amarillo, Texas, they don't have market access. What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to follow the same distribution lines that JBS, Tyson, Cargill, and National do. So once again, that's an international distribution system of our of the beef that is raised in Texas. That sounds terrible for the climate. Yeah, setting that is. beef all around. That's the other thing that's just like the hypocrisy of these people is mind bending. Let me let me feed let me feed into that real quick. Okay. In Hereford, Texas, outside of Amarillo, Texas, is JBS is there and everything. You'll have a place where they'll kill the cow. Okay. They'll put it on the hook. That cow gets shipped to Nebraska. Okay. Then it'll get cut up. Then it gets shipped back to the Texas panhandle. And then it'll be distributed from there. So once again, you know, that the, the diesel, the, you know, everything, the money's being made basically because that cow is nothing more than the byproduct of the apparatus of the chemicals of the grains of everything that's been set up, all those touch points. And so, yeah, it's really good for the climate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You just, <laughs> it's just needlessly shipping yeah. the, the, this beef all throughout the world. Right. Um, <laughs> just use it and then like who knows who bombed these Nord Stream pipelines but <laughs> oh, man, just, you just have pure methane leaking into the world and I mean I'm partial to the theory that it was probably somebody in the western world that mm -hmm. um, is definitely LARPing about climate it's like oh you're complaining about all these emissions but you're going to blow up a pipeline and let yeah. it leak pure methane into the atmosphere hypocrisy is well it was almost predictable wasn't it it's i can't remember who told me i think it might have been cole he says yeah they blew up a pipeline and i was like well that was that was expected you know yeah and at this point is like well we don't know who did it but yeah we we figured that was something like that would happen you know especially all of us have been so tuned into everything that's kind of transpiring yeah it's that's a very scary escalation it is things when you have energy infrastructure uh, now officially fair game yeah that's that's definitely the war that i don't think a lot of people understand no you you get it very deeply yeah too deeply it's scary sometimes yeah it is sometimes i wish i took the blue pill yeah <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what that would be like can you imagine right now no I can't imagine. I mean, I say that, but I would never. Because all the blue-pilled people out there are going to get shocked to a point that uh, I don't think I would want to deal with. No. 
that's the uh, that's the trade off you make. You get blissful ignorance until the day that being ignorant is just simply not uh, not an option. Yeah, and, but it'll taste good. You know, that's what they do. It'll make it taste good. You oh, know, yeah. they'll they'll be the saviors. I mean, they they move boldly. I mean, they do have this planned out. You know, they have spent a lot of money, so they they have the you know. They have the simulations. They know how people are going to behave. They understand how humans behave now. They understand that they can't go more than four, six hours without eating. You know, they, they understand that they're going to have a lot of people under their thumb. And that's, that's what I try to emphasize as much as, you know, I can is like, we don't have to participate anymore and that's why i'm you know very happy and you know pretty much kind of proud right now that what we've done this last year we really don't have to participate and we can be very grounded and we really can punch through in a way that most people aren't even going to understand and because they are so blue-pilled yeah no it's interesting you say you know that um they know that people are going to be hungry every four to six hours i actually I'm not sure if you saw, but there was an interesting thread on Twitter. I forget who wrote it, but it basically explained the history of how we got to three square meals per day. And it started during the Industrial Revolution when you had all these factory workers working very um, physically intensive jobs. Right. And they had their breaks where they were essentially forced to eat to build back up the strength to go back to work. And then as we moved towards the digital world, that sort of uh, eating cadence continued even though it wasn't necessary considering the fact that we weren't doing physically intense labor as much as we were back then yeah and and that's it's it makes me think about in you know in the 90s here in austin you know one of the perks was working on for a startup hey look at our look at our snack room man look at the fridge you look at the fridge man and it'll stock you know what google's number one thing in the beginning was no kitchen they had their own kitchen. You couldn't leave the campus. You sat there in Google and you, most guys had, you know, they started sleeping in their cubicles. So you don't have to go anywhere. You, you stay here. We'll feed you. You had all the food you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And this thread even went into like breakfast was never a thing. Yeah. Like in, in Europe, uh, throughout like the middle ages and stuff, like people would toil in the land and then they'd eat a big one people would usually eat only one meal a day just like a mm-hmm. big meal in the middle of the afternoon before the sun went down 100 percent. that's exactly how my grandparents raised us is that you had a huge meal you didn't have a late dinner you you, you didn't have much for breakfast you because you were up so early you know you're working at four and everything and you would you would really pack it on and i remember my grandma always telling me you know she had to make all the iced tea you know, because everybody's going to eat so much. And then, of course, it was all usually like fried chicken or beef, you know, for that big meal every day. But she would always load everybody up on caffeine because they had to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and then you see, like, the industry, particularly, like, cereal. Everybody's been psyched because they're thinking <laughs> you need to eat before you go to school. Yeah. Eat this bowl of sugar and milk. Yeah. We'll let you put pasteurized milk on top of it. That'll be the nutrition that you get. And you look at this, and in this, if you if you kind of focus on what I'm about to say, who who's in charge of our our nutritional guidelines in the United States? The FDA or the USDA? USDA, United States Department of 
agriculture. Okay, that means grains. Okay, well, you go back all the way to the Great Depression, how the USDA stepped in and how it really transpired after the, the Dust Bowl. You know, and it was. They, they got a lot of control because you had the Dust Bowl, you had the Depression, you had the World War. And then after that, we went full-on industrial, you know, with our food. Well, USDA went industrial, too. That's whenever a lot of cracks seeped in as far as being able to control our food systems. That's whenever you can look at it. It's like we're giving the grain companies the power to tell us what's nutritional or not. Where's everybody else? Yeah, what's the incentive structure look like there? Yeah, yeah. How can that be gamed? Mm-hmm. Who who really uh, who, who's really writing those guidelines and what are their intentions or what are their mm-hmm. their incentives at the end of the day? Well, and that and that mindset was based off abundance, right? I mean, you look at the you know the breadbasket of America, you know the Midwest, and how much food and how much wheat, everything that we did you know grow and steward. What are we going to do with this? How are we going to do, what can, how can, how can we make this into something that, you know, it's not going to hurt us in the beginning. It's not, we're, we're going to make massive profits out there. Let's leverage. And that's what they've done. They've leveraged to the point where it's kind of extended. And the one thing that we've done with that sense of abundance of all this grain is we've created a scarcity of health. Yeah. It's that simple, man. An epidemic of disease yeah throughout the country and it's funny because you mentioned the great depression and that's like one of the most interesting facts that came out of that era uh is people's life uh expectancy actually expanded because they were forced to fast because they were too poor Mm -hmm. to buy food yeah which reinforces what we were saying earlier about like one meal a day yeah um people were probably very stressed out and weren't happy with their employment uh, situation but the the forced fast due to the poverty actually extended life expectancy <laughs> which is crazy to think and I, I did whenever you know i first started you know looking at decades and everything that we've done in the united states you go back and you know the soup lines the soup kitchens the key word is soup well what, what well it's actually based on what bone probably uh, animal protein bone broth that we all did after kerrville so those people that were, you know, starving or hungry, whatever, underfed, they were more nutritionally sound as somebody standing in a soup line back then than the general consumer right now walking through the aisles of our supermarkets. With the fully stacked. Fully uh, stacked of abundance. Yeah, fully stacked uh, snack closet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with all this grain? Why don't we create the Twinkie? What about <laughs> exactly. a honey bun? It's, uh, that but probably how did, did happen. That probably did happen. So like, going back to like what I said earlier, it's like my whole life I've been going into these stores and all these very colorful packages have been presented to me. Like mm-hmm. It's hard, literally impossible, because I've never experienced it in my life to imagine a world in which that doesn't exist. Yeah. How do we get there? Do we get there? And if so, like what does a supermarket look like? Do supermarkets exist? Or do you have your your baker, your butcher? You're damn your right. You do. It's a lifestyle. 
Yeah. I told everybody from the get- beginning, this is an international lifestyle you don't understand yet. And you damn right, we eliminate all the supermarkets. Yeah. You, it's not going to happen on scale as far as the overall population. Never has, really. You always had your, your, your big markets, you know, in big cities. You go to Bangkok. Geez, you want to talk about, you go down to Mexico City, you go down to Oaxaca. You, you, everywhere you go, you have big markets. That's fine. Uh, you look at the United States supermarket, it's 1971 is when they were invented. When, when was that? We went off the gold standard. So it's nothing that's been, you know, that we can't eliminate. It took us 50 years to get here. We can start phasing out of it and say, well, that was fun while that lasted. Yeah. You know, we don't have to depend on the supermarkets. I, the only reason I go in there is to film them <laughs> anymore, yeah. you know, and take that video. And it's almost like a challenge that we should do is everybody go into your supermarket, walk through the middle aisles, film it, you know, and, and post it. And let's see what it lo- really looks like. It looks like a cartoon world. It, it is a cartoon world. Literally. It yeah, is. Cartoon. They have leprechauns, toucans. Mm-hmm purple vampires yeah 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 and then they have these these really happy people that are looking at these wonderful grass pastures you know (laughs) imagine that yeah this is what it should be yeah exactly this is some deception on our box it's not what it is exactly so yeah and the thought of that like deconstructing the supermarket model Mm -hmm. transitioning away from it it seems like a daunting task it seems it in the beginning because we are rushed. We are overloaded with, you know, our time management, of course. Uh, but from the beginning, I said, let's just start with animal protein. You know, me, Texas, beef. You know, it can be any type of animal protein, you know, that is that is hopefully stewarded in within your local region. That's what we shoot for. If not, then what have we done in the beef initiative? We're saying, well, we'll ship across the United States. But even in the beef initiative, you know, coal and KNC cattle with the beef initiative, we want to feed the United States right now, but we want to scale back and we want to just feed Texas. And then we want Tennessee to do what they're going to do in Tennessee that they're already ramping up. We've got Wisconsin now, we've got Colorado, and we want everybody to start feeding their states. Will Harris looked at me and he goes, I don't want to ship my product across the United States anymore. I would rather feed Georgia. And that's coming from a man that started from scratch, that got national exposure, that went through Whole Foods. But now he really does. He wants to scale it back. And so with it being daunting, yes, it's daunting. But let's look at Cole with uh, Hometown Meats, the new processing center. You know, he put it in Luling, Texas for a reason. You know, you got Houston right there. You got San Antonio. You got Austin. You got small Texas towns right there. How about Saturday you go and you pick up your next two weeks supply? You have a family day. You make it into something that you weren't thinking about as far as being enjoyable, but you can make it into a new lifestyle that empowers your family and empowers you as a, you know as as parents. And is especially we're always talking about the mama bears. Well, they can make sure that they have a good relationship with their local food producers. It's what it used to be. It's not that big of a deal, man. It's not that hard. Yeah, we need to lean on the moms. We do. But I do think the moms are waking up. They are. There's. Well, and the thing about and it, it, it's been horrible. I just released uh, the Heritage Woman series within our audio docu series that we're doing. It's kind of 
trickling into everybody's purview right now. But you look at the heritage woman and how they were psyoped and propagandized, you know, and the perfect example is Crisco. Crisco oil, you know, that was Procter and Gamble used to make the most amount of uh, candles in the world. But then in 1900, what happened when we had electricity? Well, they had this cotton seed that they were using to make candles. Well, they weren't selling candles anymore. Shit, we got to do something with this cotton seed. Let's let's uh, let's put some make it look white and we'll call it the new lard, the new tallow. And so they started marketing to the heritage woman and saying, hey, you're going to be international now. You know, pay attention. We're, we're going to make life easier for you. And that's really whenever the, the propagandized through marketing hit the heritage woman, hit the, the woman's uh, psychological behavior as far as what food is. So for those who are unaware of, of what the, the heritage woman is mm-hmm. or what the heritage Mm-hmm. Uh, what that that group was? What what were they, and how were they co-opted? Backbone of 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 the family. They were the ones that were always making sure everybody was healthy and happy. And how did they do that? Well, they did it with their understanding of what food was, and how they could store the food, how they prepare the food, how they would serve the food, how they would orchestrate everything that 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 family needed from the children to the husband. And, and they did it in such a, a beautiful way that throughout the decades, they kind of took that importance and that validity of that importance out of the mindset of the woman. And, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear that, but you look at today's moms and the, in the mama bears and in the wives and the, you know, you look at, they're very intentional. They they mean well. They look at food, but the amount of deception within our labeling laws and what true nutrition is now with the marketing campaigns, you know, it's it's once again we use the word daunting. It's not a fair fight anymore, and they need to take a step back and they say, okay, how did my grandmother used to do this? And my grandmother was a heritage woman. Let's see what she used to do. How did she orchestrate? How does she facilitate? How does she innovate whenever she didn't know exactly how to provide that nutrition that was needed? And if you do that, you can really discover the heritage woman again. Yeah. The mama bear in our house, my wife, she's been a seed oil hawk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in everything. She comes in every time she comes over. She's like, yeah. Yeah. It's in everything. It is. And it's been great seeing her. Uh, become hyper aware yeah of all this stuff and, and very selective and go on like long drives to find mm-hmm. uh, good food for our children it's there's nothing like again going back to like them trying to destroy the kitchen there's no better feeling that's why like i was telling you i've been traveling a lot we've been we were in jersey for the summer it was a great time we had a lot of great family dinners but you know, felt a little unsettled finally back settled in our house here in Austin. That's been right. like the best thing of the first two weeks back because we probably had five or six like group meals, either my brother or with friends, mm-hmm. his girlfriend. I got my cousins in town now and that's like Sunday we had a big barbecue. Um, there's nothing better. There's like the vibe in the house when um, wife's preparing in the kitchen. She's got help um, uh, from friends girlfriends fiancés they're they're all working in the kitchen we're me and the boys out back by the grill by the smoker 
preparing everything and it's a process right it's mm -hmm. very low time prep it takes hours so, mm -hmm. to prep we did a we did a slow we used some k and c uh a mixture of k and c beefs we did uh we did some oxtail some beef uh beef stew cuts and what else did we throw in there some meaty bones my gossip buco bones wow. and we did like a small asabuco medley it took six hours and we smoked some wings uh in the smoker but like the vibe around the house when you when you do like a big sunday meal there's nothing mm -hmm. better kids are running around everybody's contributing in their way and, and then at the end of the day when you finally sit down and have the big meal everybody's sitting around the table having good conversation vibes mm -hmm. are high yeah it's the precedence of the spirit and the mood for the whole week. I mean, you remember it, right? It ingrains something in you. And the intentionality of it is, is the value. <laughs> I mean, think about that. You know, whenever, you know, as a child, we'd go out to the farm and it was all dirt roads. And so, I mean, I had six aunts and uncles, you know, I had, I don't know, freaking 20 cousins, whatever, right? Well, every time you look down that dirt road for, you know, miles, you could see a car coming, you know, dirt road, you're going to see the dust blowing and man, anticipation, anticipation of, of seeing people, of sharing those conversations, playing kick the can, you know, going to find frogs as kids, parents being able to relate, you know, what they're doing, how they're raising their family, everything. It was the glue of the family it was the glue of the heritage it was the it was the legacy of action that you felt responsible that you had to maintain and that you had to steward and so if you look at you know it's a huge responsibility but whenever you do like have a day like you just did it's not hard it's not it comes natural doesn't it yeah and you felt pretty cool didn't you you feel it's fulfilling yeah it makes you genuinely happy like, and everybody's looking outward so much anymore and that's part of you know people taking us out of the kitchen right eliminating the kitchen and i think i've mentioned on the show i really i mean i was i was i was tagged to do a study and to provide a report in 2000 and i think it was four but the division of interpersonal communication in this nation and that's whenever we were started emailing and texting. It was early on. And, and the drive and the motivation to cause that division of interpersonal communication was something that was known back then, and they moved hard with it. They knew that if they could get the individual isolated to where they would actually increase profitability. And that's what they've done, and that's what they're trying to do right now. That's why they're saying the family doesn't matter, the kitchen doesn't matter, the division of interpersonal communication skills and what you just uh, mentioned and experienced with your own family, that is as close as you can get to strong communication skills that exist right now. Yeah, that is the real uh, rebellion. Yeah, right it there. really is. Yeah. No, because I think, again, I, I told you probably many times now at this point, throughout our conversation on the show and outside of it but yeah and i feel blessed i don't think i realized it growing up like how strong our family is mm -hmm. like we had these big sunday dinners because i had them growing up like what you just described like when you on yeah your family's land like playing kick the can like i have vivid memories of 
Sunday dinners at my aunt's house, and my mom's one of eight, so there was usually there you have at it. least five to six aunts or uncles uh, at my aunt's house on Sunday, and the kids, there was 20 of us, would go play jailbreak, run around <laughs> the neighborhood for like hours at end, come home, yeah, sweating bullets, eat a meal, and go play in the basement. The parents would hang out, pal around, and, and you go home. Yeah. yeah. And each one of us individuals has that same story. And then people need to honor that and look back and say, okay, you know, there, there's my roadmap, you know, there's the recipe, <laughs> you know, there's the call to action. Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I do that? Is it, if, it, if it's, I don't have a big extended family, well, you create your own family then, right? I mean, look how many families you and I have now just in this last year that we've developed that are starting to kind of, you know, join together to do these type of experiences and this type of intentionality. Where does it start? It starts around the food. Yeah. No, I mean, the guys here in the commons, yeah. uh, Matt Snow, Mitch, uh, my brother, they've had mini beef steaks around, uh, my brother's grill. Yeah. Um, well attended 20 plus people. So it's definitely happening. I mean, people mm -hmm. are getting together to cook. Yeah. And it's like, how do we get people to strive for that and like realize this is what you should be striving for? This interpersonal communication, this community building, yeah. this family building. Because there are, as, as positive as we're being right now, it's hard not to acknowledge that there are a lot of people out there who want to eliminate the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't see the value in family or that type of interaction with others. I think that how we get people to understand and kind of how to create and kind of engineer their own lifestyle within the, the, the mindset is to, to really understand that the orchestration of the, of the destruction of the family has been going on for a while. I mean, you look at the seventies, you call, I call it the decade of divorce. If you look at the chart of divorce in the seventies, going up to the seventies, it was just nice and flat. And then in the seventies, hockey stick like what we're hoping for bitcoin and that was because they orchestrated a societal mindset that the family wasn't as important as what grandma or or dad used to say it was and so if you can really point your compass into the importance of um the value of it but also point your compass at the understanding of this is nothing new this is something they've been working on and all this is right now is just they're creating a new plateau to to destroy you know that type of lifestyle and we don't have to accept it put your damn foot down that's what you do well not only do we not have to accept it we're reaching a point where you're going to have to really develop a care for your family because i mean right now mm -hmm. what's going on in financial markets we have a bunch of people who were about to retire, thought mm -hmm. they were gonna have a nice nest egg, but with the bond market crashing, with stocks crashing, with the financial system nearing a calamity, I think the expectation that your parents, the older generations right now are gonna be able to retire and be taken care of is- It's gone. It's, uh, it's, it's a false expectation. And so literally, you're out there and you're one of those people who's like, oh, I don't care about my family. Like you literally need to start caring about your family. There's gonna be old people yeah. living on the streets. And that's like we're getting to a point in society globally where people are really gonna to start thinking, 
how they're going to take care of their parents in their later years because they're not going to have the nest eggs they thought they were going to have. They're not going to. And I don't mind being transparent on this. You know, I said last year, you know, keep your, you know, your parents' freezers full of beef. That's how I was raised. We always had a freezer full of beef. Well, this year, you know, my mom has a freezer full of beef. My father has a freezer full of beef. But one thing that they didn't understand, and my father wrote me a, a text the other day whenever I was, I think, on coming back from Georgia. And I drove and drove there and drove back. And uh, it was it was very heartfelt. And he talked about it, and he's he's 81 years old. He just lost six years of his retirement this year. He's not gonna he he he's not gonna have anything that he thought he's gonna have, and it hit him, and he he realizes now. He's like, oh shit! And this man is beat up, three back surgeries, replaced hip, replaced knee. You know he doesn't have the means to basically do what he needs to do at that age. Now he doesn't have the financial means. He doesn't have the physical means in a way that he thought he was going to have. This is going to start hitting hard on people. I'm seeing it personally. And so the most important thing that I think people really should do is exactly what you just said. How am I going to start taking care of my parents? Am I going to kind of look back over my shoulder and see how they used to do it? You look at different cultures. They do. They, some people even, they, they quit their careers. Like in Japan, they'll go and take care of their parents. Those last years. And that's very important. It's very respectable. It's a, it's, it's a sense of honor. You know, it's a sense of uh, courage for the individual to say, I'm going to take care of my parents. And reciprocity. They took care of you in the beginning. Like uh, now yep. I have two. There you go. until you have children Mm -hmm. like i have a two and a half year old and a three month old you are helpless yeah literally humans (laughs) like are we're fascinating creatures we're extremely innovative extremely uh ingenious in a way but for a good chunk at the beginning of our lives we're completely helpless without the guidance of like good parents Mm -hmm. uh, you would not survive no and you know we always look at that you know understanding childhood you know from being infant toddler you know those first year the core belief years those core belief years are when we're just downloading everything you know and if we're being taken care of we're downloading that nurturing you know that strength that comes from that nurturing and look how much we've lost that because of the destruction of the family and so if if you look at those years and how how vulnerable and fragile we truly are we're the same when we get old and who's taking care of our seniors now well we saw what happened during covid the state and what did the state do you know let's look at new york killed all of them killed them yeah 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 and that can't be contested the numbers are there they'll say it's the flu virus you know it was the virus it's not it's how we refused as far as the individual self the individual person in that family that used to take care of the senior citizens well we're not there anymore because we're trying to survive right you know that division of you know sovereignty yeah there yeah there needs to be a a massive wake up because this is going to be a massive problem it is and 
God, the yeah, the amount of misery if people don't stand up mm-hmm. and actually take responsibility. And where does that start, right? Well, it starts in your community. It starts with the individual, you know, and it is scalable, just like our food, just like regenerative, you know, from the soil all the way to your fork. All of this is scalable, and that's what, you know, if we quit looking so far out on the macro, we have to know what, you know, especially you and I, we have to look at the macro, you know, the global macro view. But if we can really accept that, man, we can do this right here, right where we're sitting, we don't have to ask for permission. And what we have to understand is we have to bring back that sense of uh, love and spirit and nurturing that was given to us. And if we can adopt that, you know how that's best adopted with pure animal protein to the damn brain. It really is. And if it's not pure animal protein, it's clean food. Let's just say that so we don't piss off everybody that's a very based vegan. Some people have to be vegans and they do a very good job of it. The official vegan account on Facebook and Twitter listens to this podcast and he's very based. The dude who runs that. Exactly. And that's what I I want to say, you know, we from we always said the beef finish it's not anti-vegan. What it is, it's 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 anti, you know, feed the world, monocrop, all that crap. Because if if you think, you know, that this is is any different as far as the beef initiative and what we're talking about is see that's when it gets political, right? This ain't a political game here, man. This is this, this is, is a not, life game. This is a life game now. And, and I want to know more about truly based vegans that love clean food. I guarantee it comes very close to where they're standing. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's what people need to understand. Yeah. There's nothing better than clean food. Mm-mm. It changes your life right now. When everybody's taking so many, you know, all the stats out there, of, you know, how much, how many drugs are we taking? 70%, you know, two prescriptions a day, blah, all those numbers out there. What is the number one thing in your life right now? It's amazing what clean food will do for you in a very short period of time. Yeah. Not only will it help your health and again, going back to like the family meals, like good, mm-hmm. pure food takes time to prepare mm-hmm. you're forced to interact with your family you're forced to low time preference move with intention mm-hmm. and think about again like talking about the deconstruction of the supermarket and um if everybody gets to pure whole foods mm-hmm. the deconstruction of big pharma and these pills just think about the amount of capital that can be allocated towards much better productive things oh i just <laughs> That's the fun part, man. That's the lifestyle. Like, what are we going to build? Yeah, exactly. Like, what, what are we not building right now because we're focused on this? Oh gosh, I mean, you look at, you look at the. That's probably a better way to phrase it. What are we not building? Yeah, what are we not building right now that we should be honoring from the past of what they used to build? You know, do you think those dudes that built those cathedrals and shit sat down? Well, I got to have my cereal this morning. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oh, it's lunchtime. Let's stop this, uh, this massive piece of art here because I need to go and oh, look at my uh, calorie time. You know, all this is new. Yeah. Well, that's actually an interesting point. It's, it's also destroyed the aesthetics of the world. Mm-hmm. Terrible, like the videos that you show me, like the, yeah. it's just like a bombardment of colors that are terribly aesthetically. Yeah. Terrible aesthetics. You know, somebody, I, I don't know, I haven't paid that much of attention. I guess I should. McDonald's, they call it, the, now they, they call it the coffin. 
because it used to be like yellow. It was bright. And now all the new McDonald's are like these black, Cardboard. gray, carbon-looking box coffins. <laughs> you know, it's just like they look depressing. And they don't, you know, used to yellow. Well, everything was yellow because it made you get up and go, you know, and everything. But, you know, once again, the, the architecture, you know, the lack of creativity, lack of innovation, everything is so just, I don't know. I don't even have the word for it these days. Milk toast. Milk toast. I love that. It's very uh, bland. Yeah. Uncreative. Yeah. Does the international lifestyle bring back better aesthetics? Sure does. It starts with the self. I mean, we all, we all feel better. We all look better. We all look better. We all feel better. Yeah. And bringing it back to the food too, like you just juxtapose the aesthetics of throwing some pre-prepared meal in the microwave versus cooking a, a steak over the fire. Yeah. That's a good point. I had a conversation with Will. <laughs> we had a podcast out on, uh, we were staying at one of his cabins and we kind of had a little studio there and it looked back and, and um, he was looking at me before the podcast and he goes, Hey, you want to have a bonfire tonight? And I looked over my shoulder and there was like, I guess it was probably about 30 feet tall, just a lot of wood that he'd been saving. Well, he'd been saving it for this, you know, for our summit and everything. I said, hell yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and so, but he had a point, he goes, no matter what, no matter where you are in the world, he goes, we always gravitate to the fire or the sound of water. And it's so true. He goes, that's all you need. That's where you start. He goes, if you can start that mentality with your food, with the fire and the water, I mean, that's all you need to actually be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like throwing something in a box and it heating up and you're not, not actually seeing what's going on. It's right. very detached from the, those core, the water and the fire mm -hmm. that, that we're, are so drawn to yeah it's uh yeah we're gonna, it's, are it's we gonna get rid of microwaves let's get, primal. Let's get rid of microwaves too. yeah let's let's get rid of the microwaves <laughs> <laughs> please and it's hard you know let's you know but that's once again let's not validate the deception i'm a little bit older than everybody generation x we all know that but in the 70s this is what happened okay we had johnson hardware and if anybody comes to canyon for that micro summit still there right well don johnson was his name it wasn't don johnson miami vice but it was don johnson he showed up okay box in hand drove to our house first microwave in the in the in the household right and by him doing that well he had to cook something right he brought sizzling it was the new bacon and this was in the 70s and so that's what he cooked in our microwave. Sizzling. Two deceptions. Yeah, sizzling. And what it was is a byproduct, fake animal protein, all the way back in the 70s. And everybody's like, ooh, it's healthier. It's healthier. It's, just, it's, just, it's nothing new. And, and sure enough, you know, that was the, the onslaught of that deception on how to prepare for food. Look how convenient it is. Look how easy this is. Look how good this is for you. And after that, the TV dinners came out. Here we go. Healthy choice. You know, everything's always been, you know, that deception of what is health, what is nutrition, what is convenient, what is important, what has value, what does not have value. I mean, it's not that hard to disseminate and break down. It's the healthy choice that'll make you fat, give yeah. you diabetes. 
It will. It's been proven. Yeah. Yeah. God. We're gonna we're gonna get you to a state where you could show up on CNN where we're just showing B roll of of people's fat rolls. Uh huh. From the <laughs> from the stomach down. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's time to quit. You know, tolerance overall in the United States has been hijacked. Well, I I'm not gonna be tolerant anymore. You know, I don't I don't give a shit if I offend you. I really don't. Not, I, th- I think. Well, you're messing with my family. No. No, that's another trend that's beginning to pick up as people like, all right, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I'm not, I don't care about getting canceled, which is very encouraging to see. Yeah. We can't, these people are killing us. They are, and they're, and they're doing it in a way that, it, okay, the, the most fascinating, in the, think about how people that are facilitating this, this whole overall you know, global industrial food shift, whenever you can get a society to willingly, nutritionally starve itself, you're winning. And they're winning because we are, our brains are inflamed, highly processed food. Our metabolical health is bankrupt, diabetes, heart disease, all of the above. We already know it. It's nothing. It's, it's out there in the open. Even the people that are doing it tells us the, the numbers, the statistics of how much of, you know, this nation is basically walking dead right now. Yeah. And you want to you want to get really true about this? You want to get really factual? Those ten thousand cattle that died in Kansas, right? And what happened there? It was a heat wave. Yeah, it was. It was one of those heat waves that hit the Midwest, and they do hit hard. It gets hot as shit, and it stays hot as shit. Well, you had a heat wave, but let's go down to the base layer cause of that. It's because you had fat cattle, and that's what they're called. They're called fat cattle. Well, you have producers that raise those cattle to a certain point. Once again, this is never against the American rancher. It's never against the American producer. They're doing a damn good job for what they do. But what happens whenever they get rid of that cattle? Well, that cow is one step away from death anyways. Maybe more shade should have been there. Sure. Uh, Maybe more water. But with that heat wave, the perfect storm of, you know, some stuff that happened, those 10,000 cattle that died during that heat wave basically is a mirror reflection of our society right now. If you had the same amount of Americans that would have been put out there in that heat, one step away from death already, metabolical bankruptcy. That's what those cattle are these days because the commodity, the subsidization, the global trade market in which what we've created those cattle were already dead and they died because they they suffocated because of the heat because they're metabolically bankrupt because they're being fed basically you know shit shit yeah and we all know that i mean yeah did you see a video uh hopping around twitter of just like pigs getting fed plastic yeah yeah will harris has been talking about that for years what's uh, how does that how's that how's that happen how does that happen well, we've got, you know, whenever you have 20 touch points of your food system and everybody's making a profit off that, you've got, you know. You want the margin to be higher so you just feed them plastic? Of course. I mean, that that's something. Let's inject that How in How does there. somebody get to that point, though? Like, you have to realize, like, if the pigs are eating plastic, it's yeah. going to get into their body and then it's going to get well, into it. Well, it's a pig, right? I mean, you look at the, the, the viewpoint, the purview of pig and the people who eat it, who hate it, you know, pigs will eat anything. You know, it just kind of magically kind of gets to where they're getting candy that's not used and they grind it up 
plastic and paper and all and they feed it to the hogs and they put it into certain grains and you know it's a commodity market you know that's why we call it you know commodity cowboys we call it the commodity you know world in which we live in and once you can create fake commodities and stack them into a food system that's where i've taught from the beginning is that as the dollar got debased we were able to inject fake commodity and fake commodity systems and products into that whole circle of food. Let's get pigs to eat freaking plastic and candy. Sure, we can do that. Well, we we know the people. We know the FDA. We know the USDA. We got something called the Gross Rule, generally recognized as safe. Well, plastic and paper and you know, candy that's safe for pigs. Let's let's go ahead. It, it'll add sweetness. They'll eat more. They'll get fatter faster. But it's becoming obvious candy <laughs> isn't safe. Like it's giving everybody diabetes. Like yeah, can, like well, you know these, these the grass rule, whatever it is, it yeah. stands on like a mountain of it's lies. Laughable. Yes, yeah. it's laughable. Well, the reason they get away with it is, in un unfortunately, and I saw this driving across the country. And, you know, everybody's like, why are you doing this? Why, you know, the meetups, they're not that big. What, what's, where's, where's the documentary? What I was doing is I was looking at a nation. Uh, I wasn't driving on the interstates. What I was doing, I was observing a food desert that is now the United States. And I was looking at these small rural communities that used to be the strongest center points of community. And they were the ones that were the rural communities that actually raised and stewarded our produce and our animal protein. You go through most of those places now, let's say 2,000 people or less, say 5,000 people or less. You know what you have in those towns now? You have a Dollar General and you have a convenience store. And that's how people are eating in more places than anybody who wants to understand or admit. And then if they don't, if they have something beyond that, they're going to have a Walmart. And so you look at every one of those apparatuses. Dollar General, that's nothing but the trash can of corporate waste. That's what they do. They make something and they make sure that every part of that life of that piece of candy will have a place in our economy. And usually it's us in the end the impoverished rural communities or the urban communities are nothing but the recycling bin of that corporate waste. They're not going to let it go. Not unless we tell them, no, we're not going to yeah. participate. We put our anymore. foot down and we say, bullshit, we're not going to do this anymore. No. And it's, I mean, energy is life. Mm -hmm. Food is what gives us energy. So it's the basis from which we go out and participate in society to think like the quote-unquote energy that is being injected into most people is the shit like the ripple effects of that like your mind you can't you literally can't think correctly mm -mm. on this no. shit you're no. eating this shit you're tired you're mm -hmm. hyperactive if you're hyperactive one moment you're tired the next you can't concentrate you can't learn and the compounding effects of that across mm -hmm. the society over multiple generations which is the point we're at right now yeah we're dumber. We're fatter. Yeah. More, a lot of people are more complacent than ever. And, and that that's what's sad about this because, you know, once again, you know, we always say this isn't a judgment. 
you know, we're all participated. Everybody's been part of this. And, but one thing that people really need to understand and truly, truly accept in their hearts is that the only reason this is happening is because of consumer demand. We're the ones driving this. If we do not basically participate, if we quit participating, they have to change. They have to basically take a step back like we already have done and they have to say, well, shit, this ain't working no more. And if we can do that, we're the ones that are pioneering here, you know, especially the Bitcoiners and the regenerative mindset producers, ranchers and, and consumers. If we can, we don't know the outcome, but what we can understand is that there's a better solution and we can lead that. And what we have to do it with our consumer demand. In the beginning, it's gonna be a little inconvenient, but you're gonna find out really fast that you're gonna desire it a hell of a lot more than you desire going to the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think we should stress too that you can have a material effect in a short amount of time, obviously you've done in the last year is evidence of that and yeah again we talked about how daunting it is to deconstruct the the supermarket then the big pharma but if you keep this pace this acceleration going and it starts compounding 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 we could wake up yeah uh, much sooner than many imagine and, and live in this reality that we're describing right now well, and you look at that and you, you, we, we've talked about, you know, this is a monetary reset, what we're seeing here, folks, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've done it before and they're going to do it again and how they're introducing that monetary reset will be driven by, you know, certain layers of people, let's say the, the impoverished, you know, let's look at food stamps. Well, there'll be a new form of food stamp that is for the general public saying you will buy this type of food because we're going to subsidize in a way where we're going to give you this digital way of purchasing your food. And, but you can only shop here. You can only do this. You'll get your carbon credits, blah, 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 everything they're doing with the ESG and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's why it's so important in the beginning. I knew it's like, man, Bitcoin and beef, it, it's the biggest power move that we have right now. And it truly is. And once we we transform and we transition into understanding that we want peer-to-peer -peer transaction, peer-to-peer -peer relationship with the people that provide us our food, and that we want to provide them value with a form of monetary systems that we're actually pioneering into with Bitcoin, you're going to understand that that is probably the best counterpunch to any type of deception that you have. And it does start with, if it starts with our food, it starts with market access, the lack thereof that we have right now of market access to really good food is the worst it's ever been in, in my lifetime and probably in this country, you know, yeah. as a whole. And, even with that backdrop of it being the worst in your lifetime and probably American history, now is the time to strike. Like in, mm -hmm. in the context of like ESG and carbon yeah. credits, these narratives are falling flat on their face with this energy crisis and the hypocrisy of bombing a, a mm -hmm. natural gas pipeline. Like these people don't have a leg to stand on, and no. time to counterpunch with authority is right now. Yeah, like the 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 double speak that is becoming more and more obvious the trust that's being eroded at an increasing pace on a daily basis 
yes, it's scary, but it's also creating this opportunity for us taking to take control of the great reset and reset mm -hmm. things the way that we believe they should be. Well, think about that. I mean, I, I, I sent out a tweet, I don't know, a couple months ago. I said, you guys should be looking at the guys that actually became prosperous during the Great Depression. Okay, that was innovation during times of mass prohibition. Wrap your head around that. Innovation during times of mass prohibition. Every rancher that I talked to last year before we really got going, every one of them said, this is a perfect storm. We have to do this now, 2022. And so here we are, you know, going into October of 2022. Let's start mocking them because they are. They're, fly, they're falling flat on their face. They are going to cause destruction. We know that. It is coming. To the scale, we don't know. But do we have to worry about it? Not if you're doing exactly what we're doing as far as food intelligence. We can mock them. And what we can do is we can do, perform a form of innovation that will carry us on for the next 50 years here. This is a 50 to 100 year plan, just like they have. And if we can strike now within this perfect storm of opportunity and possibilities, relationship building, then we're going to be leading. Let's say they do fall flat on the face and this was just something that they tried and they gave up. Well, guess who's standing on top of the hill? Who, who's going to be the advisory council now? It's going to be us. And we're going to have the, the infrastructure built out. And we can say, well, we know the law better than you know it. So you're going to, you're going to be advised by us now. And, and we'll be able to steward, you know, everything that we're working towards within Bitcoin adoption and with food intelligence adoption in a way that people might not really understand now, but I see it. It's coming. Yeah. And not only is the opportunity great, but the message is so much more hopeful. Well, yeah, it's based on love, trust, and spirit, man. Honesty, transparency. And that's like, maybe we should lean into that more. It's like, look at the two options. Right. You get your CBDC wallet that gives you your, your <laughs> rations month in and month out, or you get uh, this path towards freedom and abundance and quality goods at the end of the day. Like, how do we begin getting that through people's minds? Well... That was kind of my thought in the beginning because I don't know how to do conferences. I don't know how to do events. Never done. I, I, I participated. I'd never put one on. But we've got a we've got a good signal now. We've got a good narrative. And by me doing what I did from Kerrville to Colorado and the team and everybody that participated, everybody, all of us, that what we did together collectively. Um, you know, now I'll be flying to Australia at the end of January, twenty twenty three two summits in Australia. I'm going to go to Thailand and I'm going to go meet up with Captain Sid. He's putting together a plan over there. He's meeting people that are looking at, that are already working in the Bitcoin space in Thailand that are actually, you know, Thailand is a fascinating country for food and they, they really have a lot of intelligence with food more so than we do. You know, it's a fascinating place. And so we take it global. We build out locally we broadcast globally. And once we do that, we see that this is the lifestyle that I want. We're going to start traveling again. We're going to go teach and learn. And we're going to do it based on that source of the seed of what our energy is. And that's pure animal protein, pure nutrition. Yeah. We can win, freaks. We're going to win. We're going to win. Just stand up. Yeah. Act. Quit, and, and I say this with respect, 
I really do. And, but let's quit doing this, this, this parroting and circle jerk. Let's, let's actually, let's innovate. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's, we can do it. I mean, we can do it collectively. I always tell people is like, you don't know what to do, you know, within Bitcoin, you don't understand what to do with Bitcoin right now. We'll find out what the most important thing in your life is and point it that direction and see what comes out of it. Same with food. If you're passionate about food, do the same with food. Let them come together at a crossroad that you can actually nurture. And it's, it'll be a, it'll be a power move and it'll be bring a lot of happiness to you. And, you know, the individual has to start this, the sovereign individual. Yeah. And just think about it. You want control over your life. Yeah. And if you're being honest with yourself, that's going to take some agency and action. Mm -hmm. Like what world do you want to live in where you're controlled or where you have control? And this is the options that are laid before you. Many people are, are living in a world in which their lives are, are controlled to mm -hmm. a very high degree. Like, do you want to take control back? Do you actually care? Yeah, and, and it's daunting, but it's not. It's actually very fun. I mean, look, I get to leave right now, today. I'm driving down to the processing center. I'm going to go meet Cole at the, the, the new processing center that we've been talking about. But what I get to do is I get to nurture a relationship. This is about relationship building again. Let's, let's build a relationship with the people that are trying to feed us not the people that are trying to kill us. And, you know, our fourth little event this year, the big one, not the small micro one there in Canyon, you know, it's uh, everybody get ready. We're going to have a big old freaking cowboy party. <laughs> and, it's, and it's called the Cattleman's Kill It and Grill It. And, you know, we're going to have a tour of the processing plant. We're going to have a tour of the ranch. We're going to have a big old Cattleman's Feast. It's 50 bucks. Let's everybody come and have a hell of a good time and right the heart of Texas. That's how we start doing this. This is the first weekend, November? November 5th. Yep. Luling, Texas. It's up on the website. You know, the events. I have an event section on the platform now. Hell yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's 50 bucks. It's not, hey, uh, this beef that everybody says it's too expensive, you come and I guarantee you, you, will not, you, you won't be able to eat all the beef that's going to be served. <laughs> and it's going to cost you less than 50 bucks. Uh, there's nothing better than sitting around. Shout out to uh to Josh who throws the beef steaks. Oh yeah, he's great. I saw him in Nashville yeah. when they did the grassroots. The beef steaks are so good. They are, man. He does a hell of a job. Yeah, he really does. You and know, like, and again, creating that environment of community. Mm -hmm. You're like forced to literally sit around the table, stand around the table. Yeah, eat meat and talk with your. Fellow. And he does. He he educates, and he, that's what we need. We need the, we need the beef steak. We need the cattleman's feast. We need family dinners like you just had. We need all of it. That's where it all starts. Everybody can have their own. Well, it's funny you say that because that was like another, reading a lot of Twitter threads this week. That was like another, it wasn't even a thread. It was a video of a man walking down the street and describing um, why there's a growing sense of loneliness in the United States. And it's literally the, the architecture of our cities and towns has been corrupted in such a way that you don't have these centers where you can meet to to converse with people mm -hmm. and pal you don't have the men's clubs anymore you don't have uh the salons like they used to be you don't have the women's clubs or anything like that it's mm -mm. The, the subdivision design of our modern society really does that 
division divides people and isolates people mm-hmm. and doesn't create a literal physical space where they have the opportunity to, to gather and talk and yeah. develop these relationships. Yeah. It reminds me of like, you know, traveling, you go to different places you go down to like, let's say Oaxaca, Mexico, they have the Zocolo, you know, that's the center point. You have the County square. That's where when I was growing up, the County square, Randall County, right there, you had the hardware store, you had the pharmacy, which had, you know, you could eat, you could actually, back then it was aspirin, <laughs> whatever it was, but you know, you, you had, you had the pool hall, you had, you had the coffee shop, you had the cafe, you had ever, you had the salon, you had everything. And it was, it was the, you know, the American Zocalo was the, the, the county square. You go down to Oaxaca at all times, people are around that Zocalo. And they're conversing, they're planning, they're laughing, they're playing mariachi music, they're doing everything, you know, and that, that is something that we've taken away out of our cities. You're right. I mean, it it is part of the division of that interpersonal communication. And it's literally called a subdivision. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and, And look how they're being bought out. The subdivisions are now being owned by, you know, the black rocks of the world, the black rocks and the vanguards. Yeah. Yeah. Berkshire Hathaway's of the world. Mm-hmm. It's literally called a subdivision. They say right in your face. <laughs> they admit We're going to subdivide you. So it's like, hey, joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I saw on that, you know, that tour across, you know, the United States, 23,000 something miles by now. Just FYI. First time I left, I said, I'm going to, you know, 10,000. Now it's 23,000. Double. Yeah, double. More than double. Yeah. Yeah. So, but what I've seen and, and, you know, they're stacking a new layer of poverty on the existing layer of poverty. That's what kind of what we've been talking about nutritional poverty. And I ask people now, it's like, what is poverty? What is, what do you think poverty is? What is the source of the seed of poverty? I mean, most people will say uh, lack of funds, but it's probably mm-hmm. hopelessness. Yeah. Where does hopelessness come from? Lack of strength. Poverty is nothing more than nutritional starvation. Nutritional starvation is nothing but poverty. And if you can look at that and you break it down in any way you want to disseminate in your own mind, you don't have poverty without nutritional starvation. And you don't have nutritional starvation without poverty. And they're stacking a new layer of poverty in the United States and across the world with nutritional starvation because our brains aren't working correctly like they used to work. They're just not. And it's been proven. We've got, I don't know how many medical doctors that are coming over. that are finally being able to say a little something, something now, especially after COVID that they're coming out and they're really telling us what they're seeing within the individual patients that are coming in. You're having children coming in. And I say this all the time, ages five to 11, 46% obese or overweight. Here we go. Also, well, guess what? We've got children coming in that age group with fatty liver disease and having to get online for liver transplants. What? Yes. That's what usually happens in a 70 year old man. That's been drinking his whole life. That was usually the guy that was showing up with fatty liver disease. Now you're having the children of the United States showing up in doctor's offices, being diagnosed with fatty liver disease. That is nothing more than too much consumption of highly processed foods that include include seed oils, high fructose corn syrup, all that kind of crap. 
And you have doctors that are leaving the medical field and becoming functional medicine doctors. You know, they're leaving the MD. They're saying, screw you, okay. And they're, they've seen these kids. They've seen them come into their offices. Any kid that has that type of metabolical destruction, they're dead. They'll never have a childhood. They'll never have that spirit. And so for a nation to be able to look at itself in the face in the mirror and say, oh, this is, this is just, uh, yeah, you guys are, you know, you're extreme with your meat. You're extreme with your food talk. Well, bullshit. This is happening across a nation and us, the people, us, the parents are the one that is allowing it to happen. So you can, you can look at it politically. You can look at it against veganism, carnivore, anything you want. But the really, the, really the, the most important aspect of all of this is that we're losing a generation of kids. It's happening. And how can a, a, an adult population be okay with that? You'd have to be weak. Yeah, you have to be weak. And you have to have the same addiction. If people think that food is nothing more than a drug, then if they, they can't understand that food is nothing more than a drug, you're lying to yourself because you try to, a lot of people don't quit eating the way they do. Their consumption model, as I call it, their consumption model is based on something that is more of a necessity because you look at addiction you know, my father was a counselor, all that. You look at somebody getting off alcohol and you go through a form of detox. Well, you go through somebody that is addicted to highly processed foods, sugars, everything that we talk about. It is something that is scary to them. It's hard. It, it's, it's a form of anxiety. Your body does go, hey, wait, what's going on here? Reacts physically. Yeah. I've gone through withdrawal before. Mm -hmm. I was highly addicted to marijuana for a while. Right. And I, right before my first son was born, I went cold turkey. Did you? I got cold sweats. Oh, yeah. Couldn't sleep. <laughs> got over it, though. But it, it was. It was a form of a, it was anxiety, wasn't it? Yeah. You had a form of anxiety. You didn't really know what's going on. It's confusing. And then you have people that are really wanting to make that change. And they're, like, very aware that they're addicted to the food that they're consuming. They don't have a lot of outlets, because a lot of the nutritional guidelines, a lot of the dietary programs, it's fiat-based, you know, it's profit-driven, you know, what are the yields, what are the margins, let's do this 12-month cycle, a hamster wheel of diet and nutrition that nobody ever, you know, follows through on, let's keep them addicted, but let's give them a little hope. But if you look at it, you know, you look at who's writing all this, these dietary and these nutritional programs being nutrition, it's the same companies that got us here, right? And so whenever you, you come off, you know, I've detoxed off of alcohol hard. You know, I used to be a pretty good savage drinker myself. And it's not fun detoxing off of alcohol, man. You do, you sweat, you get the whatever. I mean, the deets, I think is what they call it. It's unhealthy as hell, but to go through that suffering is required before you can reset, you know, your metabolical systems. Yeah. You don't have to realize what, uh, what you were doing to your body. <laughs> yeah. Why am I reacting this way? Maybe yeah. it wasn't good for me. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a form of poison that we don't see, you know, but it sure does taste good. And that's what everybody says, man. Sure. No, it made it taste better. Yeah. Taste better. Tastes better. And once again, I always tell everybody, look up Royal DSM, you know, out of the Netherlands. 
how they've learned to hijack our taste buds and how they're, the, the type of science that they're bringing into our food systems is scary as hell because now they're getting into nanoparticle technology. Said that last year where they're going full force here and they will design a piece of dog shit to taste good. And people will taste it. You'll and they'll say, it. They're going to make you eat shit. It's a big. They Didn't you say beyond literal, meats? Literal shit, though. Yeah. I mean, even I think I said it on Pomp. And I said, you know, you look at one of those videos. I don't even know if it's out there. Anymore, but you got Bill Gates up there saying, oh, we got the texture down. We got this down. We don't quite have the taste. But we're there. We're just, we're almost, we, we got it. And it's true. It's a big humiliation ritual. <laughs> I'm trying to humiliate you. Let's, yeah. let's make them eat shit. Mm -hmm. Let's grow some some quote unquote meat in a petri dish. Human dog food. And tell them it's food. Yeah. And then and, and for and, and it makes me sad for people that really argue, you know, that hey, this is this is actually you know this is science. Look how advanced we are, you know. And maybe it is good science. Maybe it is fascinating what they can do in the chemical labs yeehaw you know and stay the fuck away from my food yeah no this is this is the line you draw on this yeah it is like you're not going to convince me that food is not science <laughs> science is not food food is biology yeah yeah it comes from the soil it always has and it always will and as we go around and we get fascinated with the science of food well, you know, that science will end up killing you. Yeah. Yeah. It's indicative of the hubris of man that God warned us about. I think so. <laughs> you cannot outsmart God. No. <laughs> you can't reproduce what he did no matter how hard you try. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point because people get confused with, you know, it being daunting and, you know, how do we figure this out? You know, and you just, let's get to the source of the seed. Let's get to the understanding that there is good and evil and the good and evil is in our food right now. And the, the lines have been drawn and, it, and it's being driven really hard right now with an apparatus that all of us as Bitcoiners have been, you know, signaling out and very aware of some of us longer than others, of course. But what we have to understand is it, it's happening. This global industrial food shift has happened. And if we can accept that it is it is moving forward, we can laugh at it and not be scared of it because we have the market access. We have the vertical integration and it starts with the beef initiative there'll be more we're bringing in more people into the beef initiative more producers are coming and more countries are participating this is not an isolated thing this is a global movement and anybody that wants to come along can do that and that's what people you know especially here in austin i mean quit <laughs> there's so much market access here that everybody here in texas can start leading the way with that it is that lifestyle it is something that can be fun yeah and another thing like <clears throat> they they're depending on you to be fearful so like you said don't be afraid stand up and be be strong laugh at them laugh, ridicule them mock. that's what they're most worried about it, it's it's and it's when, easy to do oh it's very easy they make it extremely easy yeah. these days it is <laughs> extremely easy to mock these people because they're so detached from reality and they don't even realize it and one thing that people probably 
you look at somebody like let's look at somebody like me just an example i have to i always get if i eat in public sometimes i have to eat some you know commodity based food or something i'm always looking over my shoulder i said shit somebody's gonna take a picture of texas slim eating a piece of pizza or something like that but if you look at how that lifestyle you know i eat a lot of you know protein right Whenever you have that type of consumption model, man, things aren't that scary. It's not because I'm this cowboy from West Texas. Yeah, that has a lot to do with who I am, right? But really, the power behind that, whenever you're eating that type of nutrition and that type of protein to the brain, when you're giving that brain that type of delivery of energy, man, shit ain't scary. It's laughable. Yeah. And that's what people really need to have faith in. And we can do that. We can lead with that. They want you to be afraid, be strong, but mm-hmm. they want you to be afraid. Yeah. Say, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. You know, fear is a lie. And a lot of people don't realize that, but fear is based on a lie. Lie is fear. You look at any type of fear that you usually feel as a human, it's, it's because you're afraid. And, and, and whenever you're afraid, it's usually based on lies. It's not based on truths. And if, if you're, you're afraid of the truth, it's because there's, there's a lie in there that you don't want to admit, you know, that's getting kind of philosophical and, you know, psychological here, but fear is a lie. And if you put truth in food straight on, man, bullseye to truth, truth in food, your life will be a thousand times better than it is right now. You you don't worry about wealth. You don't worry about too much of anything because you have a stance of strength it's a foundation that you've established yourself it's a structure in which you can rely on and that's that's why you start with freaking beef <laughs> the good stuff the good stuff and yeah it is i bought a 50 dollar uh ribeye in central market yesterday what the yeah it was 32.99 a pound right it's a little under two pounds what yeah you know what it had on the label I did it for an experiment. What I have? It said natural Angus beef. And it was their high-end beef, natural. <laughs> How many people look at that and go, ooh. It's natural. It's natural. I'm going to be it decadent. Should all, it should all be natural. Yeah, I'm going to be decadent. So everybody going to all these, and we all do it. I've, I eat steaks everywhere. You know, I can't always eat, you know, the, the, you can't always eat Jason. You can't always eat Cole. You can't always eat all the ranchers in beef and issue. You're going to have to go out there and eat at a restaurant. You're going to have to shop at Central Market, H-E-B. But I always tell everybody, next time you spend that, you know, $100, $120, $150 on that tomahawk ribeye, and you ask them where does that come from and they say something like oh it comes from chicago well you ask yourself well do you feel decadent now is that your purpose (laughs) are you trying to feel decadent by eating that piece of beef where you have no idea where it actually truly comes from i mean what what are you what are you who are you serving eating decadence or deception exactly i mean what is it why do you desire what you desire, man? I tell you what's decadent is sitting at the table with your family that you guys have spent six hours orchestrating something that's actually going to be a family remembrance in a form of heritage that you're stewarding. Yeah. That's decadent. Yeah. That's true decadence, freaks. Yeah. Go seek that. It's a lifestyle. Go find that. Yeah. It's worth it. It's fulfilling. And it's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper. 
Why don't we paint a roadmap? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Cause you're going to be part of that roadmap you have from the beginning. So let's do, all right. What's the next big deal? October 15th in Canyon, Texas in the Texas panhandle. And it's a small little pavilion. It's a food and heritage, heritage and food micro summit, right? Well, I've told everybody come to Canyon, Texas on Friday. I'm going to show them the Panhandle Plains Museum. Everything about Texas, man. That's what it's, it's fascinating from the Comanches to the cattle ranching to oil. And, you know, and let's let's go look at the the rim of Paladura Canyon. It's the second largest canyon in the United States. A lot of people don't know about that. Saturday, we have the 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 basically the summit the micro summit after that we're going to go out and tour the micro processing center justin trammell of panhandle meats he was the first rancher that i shook his hand with and everybody needs to understand everything that we're doing it takes one handshake that's what the beef initiative is it takes one handshake after that we have november 5th in luling with knc cattle and beef initiative we partnered up from day one he's the number one supplier of our beef we're going to have the cattlemen's kill it and grill it i mean everybody in texas anybody across the nation or the world should be at that it's at a cell barn and nobody really knows where this what a cell barn is it's where they sell the the prime bulls Mm -hmm. the prime heifers you know the prime you know from the genetics up i mean it's fascinating it's little auction you know centers so you have all these bleachers and everything and i asked cole i said hey man i said how many people can we get in this damn thing (laughs) because you know it's not going to be one of these small things i said how much he goes i'll because the doors open up i mean it's beautiful it looks out over the ranch and he goes i think we can get 500 in here and i said shit so we're gonna have hundreds of people there let's get everybody there it's not expensive 50 bucks 50 bucks man you get a ranch tour you get the processing plant tour you get to have a big old cowboy shit kicking good time man (laughs) we're gonna play a lot of music and there'll be you know beer and wine whatever but we'll have a cattleman's feast and then we're gonna go to nashville and that'll be december 7th through 10th in nashville everybody come see us everybody join in uh we'll have that panel and we're going to introduce bitcoin to the american cattle producer and thank goodness for brooke miller to to you know to have the courage to invite us there we get to talk about bitcoin and beef in front of the nation's producers that's going to be a high leverage event hell yeah that's the starting point we're just now took us a year to get there right Mm -hmm. we get to go you know talk to the world now about beef and bitcoin that's fascinating that's that's damn good times with people who actually have access to getting uh, to decision makers yeah and in in it'll be it'll be you know i talked to because jason you know rick ranches i talked to him i talked to cole and you know they go, uh, whoa 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 uh maybe maybe not you know because it's a fine line we might be going into the belly of the beast, you know, but then talking to Brooke, you know, and, and talking to Leah, his assistant, you know, people that are putting this together, they're like, no, 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 this is truly for the producers. We'll probably get a lot of people looking at us, eh, what, what's this Bitcoin shit, you know, but guess what? We have proof of work. We, we've sold a lot of beef now, you know, Cole Bolton is the first 
rancher I, that I know of that, you know, the, through this apparatus that is, you know, got his full first Bitcoin through, you know, beef and Bitcoin, Bitcoin and beef. And so people are going to start seeing that and they're going to start paying attention as we get this ESG, as the monetary reset moves forward, there's going to be people listening and they're going to want to have a new protocol from stewarding their animal, the land and their, and their money. And we have the narrative on our side. We have Mm -hmm. a view of the future that is much better than the alternative. Yeah. Which is going down with the ship. Yeah. I mean, you look at that narrative and, you know, in the beginning, what did I say? I said, well, I'm going to go fi- buy a, a cow and I'm going to go sell four quarters to all my Bitcoin friends and just use Bitcoin, you know, and a lot of people are already doing that now. But if you look at the technology stack with, you know, Michael and JP with Oshi, you know, and you look at Ibex, we're partnered up, heavy partnership with Ibex right now. Our technology stack is amazing. And it's been this collaboration of the Bitcoin space. It's a beautiful thing to see. It, uh, People coming together to solve real problems. And it is. It's a teamwork, man. And it takes a village. It, exactly. Uh, and, and you introduced me to CrowdHealth, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're partners with them. They sponsored that. They were one of the sponsors in Georgia. And so we're moving forward hard. That's part of this heritage. This is part of, you look at all the ranchers across the United States, you look at something like crowd health and it's a no brainer, right? Rule type of, you know, insurance. I mean, community based, everything that we're trying to do. And it's perfect for crowd health because they're looking for healthy people. And who, yeah. Who healthier than those eating the best beef? Exactly. I mean, it's a no brainer. This is how this innovation works, right? I just got through uh, talking with uh, Parker. You know, they're going to, you know, you know I, put, I started that scholarship program. You know, the first person uh, that gets a, their name on that scholarship is Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. Next year, at some point in time, we will be, it's our scholar. We don't have to follow the academic scholarship. We're creating it. We're innovating a new scholarship. Might be internships out of his ranch. And so what we'll do is maybe we'll build a couple of uh, tiny homes to where people can come out. They can, we'll have maybe one family or a couple or whatever it is, come out there and intern for Rick Ranches. And then we'll have people, you know, that gets that scholarship and they get to learn how to become regenerative farming and ranching. And it's led by Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. Who, what is he? He's a true educator. And so he gets to start educating. And we start building out these internship programs, the scholarship program. And so Unchained Capital is going to basically, you know, they're going to help us steward the Bitcoin that I put up. One full Bitcoin for the scholarship program. People can donate to it now through the Beef Initiative platform. And it's like helping us spread the message. And everybody keeps on asking, what can I do? What can I do? Well, as Adam, Adam Curry says, time, talent, and treasure. Start giving it. Start providing into the solution. Don't provide into the deceptions. And so partnership with Unchained Capital is coming, you know, and they're going to they're gonna help us, you know, they're going to onboard Beef Initiative and they're going to uh, basically help us steward and, and basically um, secure that Bitcoin. And then people can feed into that Bitcoin foundation that we've created. So there's so many different things that are going on with this in this space that, neither you or I knew the first time we sat down in your place out there. 
And look at where we've come in 12 months. Imagine where we'll be in the next 12 months. Exactly. I mean, I've got some, I got some high hopes, man. I'm going to get pretty bold here. You know, <laughs> after November 5th, man, I'm going to, I'm going to come out guns a blazing on this one. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the mm -hmm. future as well. Okay. Well, and one thing that everybody's going to be talking about are two events. And this is, it's not a competition, right? Nashville and, and Texas, Tennessee and Texas thing that we got going on. Well, I talked to Rod and uh, Matt. We're going to have a, an annual Tennessee Beef Initiative Summit in Nashville every year in April. Hell yeah. We got a headquarters there now. Competition, competition makes better products. So. It does. Yes. I, I welcome the competition from, from our brothers up in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful place. It is. It, it really is. is. It's fun. I mean, I do mind Bitcoin in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you turned me on to that. Yeah. It's a great story that we'll be telling. Yeah, it's... Tennessee's uh, uh, fascinating. It is. It's beautiful up there. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful down here. Beautiful people all around. This is a message of optimism. It is. You have agency. And then after that, that beautiful thing in Tennessee, well, this is the challenge. This is the true challenge. Where are we going to have our Texas beef initiative summit that's annual in the state of texas where are we going to have it won't be in the city of austin i don't know it's going to be somewhere let's start throwing out some ideas hmm mm -hmm. hmm parker said lano i like i love lano it's a freaking cool town yeah it's not too far from here either river runs through it yeah 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 it's it's original coopers yeah I mean, we get the original Coopers involved. Uh huh. Yeah. Hell yeah. They'll be they'll be serving our beef one of these days. <laughs> it's a good goal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So where are we going to have the annual Texas Beef Initiative? I like the sound of Lano. Yeah, I like it because you got all these. You got Johnson City. You got Mason. You got Lano. You got Fredericksburg. You got all these little small towns. Everybody can come out and start rediscovering Texas like we've been talking about for this last year. Get out of the city. Make it a lifestyle. You ever spent a weekend in Lano at Dab's Motel? I have not. Go I try it a, out. I spent a day in Lano. Yeah. It's cool. They got a place. It's Dab's Motel. It used to be a uh, saloon type of place, brothel, and it's right on the, the river there. And it's I haven't stayed there in a long time, but it used to be pretty cool. Yeah, they got all these little gems. Now the uh, we were actually about to cross the uh, the bridge over the river there mm -hmm. in Lano. My wife made me pull into a parking lot and turn around because she just wanted to drive down the main street because it's one of those picturesque mm -hmm. Texas small town main streets with your yeah. hardware store, your pharmacy, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, they've got cool shops. I mean, we always talk about citadels, right? And what is a citadel? Well, I think all the citadels there already exist. You know, that's what I'm really looking at. These small Texas towns or small American towns that people have forgotten. You can go into these places and steward a lot of change and innovation. And it starts with the food because they used to be the, the strongest communities in the nation were those small rural places that actually did grow the food. Yeah. Get back to the source, freaks. Mm -hmm. Well, the saga continues. It does. You're going to put 100,000 miles in your car by the end of next year. Yes, I am. I'm going to drive that. Well, my truck is about done. I need a new truck. Yeah, I put some miles on that damn thing. It's done a good job. Yeah, quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. In less than a year. Yeah. 
It's, it's fascinating. But I'm going. I'm going across the world. I told everybody at the beginning. I said I'll, I'll go anywhere in the world, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to make this. We're going to build out locally. We're going to broadcast globally. And in you know within that two year time frame, I want to I want to hit everywhere we can, and I want to drive across this nation. We got people coming in. We're going to do micro summits across this nation, and people are going to be able to come to the Beef Initiative, and they'll be able to say, "Hey, I want to have something right here in Madison, Wisconsin." Let's say just for an example, because Peter's up there. That you know we we're now. I just wrote an article. On, I didn't write it. Aiden wrote it. One of the new writers. But you can come and say, I want to have a beef initiative micro summit. All you got to do is fill out a type form. And I hate because they're so woke now. But if you look at how they did freaking TED Talks and how they destroyed everything, let's look at how they you, you facilitate that to where you want to have a micro summit and you want to what do you what are you going to talk about? What is the agenda? What is everything? What's everything that we just learned this last, you know, me three years last year within Bitcoin? Anybody can do this now. And we want to spread that out for everybody. Let's start having 100 micro summits across the United States this year. And so provide an open source architecture for these events. And Hell yeah. Let the message spread. Yeah. That's how we build these nodes. We, we've had success. We have it in Colorado. We got it in Tennessee. We got to have it in Wisconsin. Got two places in Colorado. Got one, two, three places in Texas already. These nodes are happening. So anybody that wants to step up to the plate right now, we can do this. Go to beefinitiative.com or buginitiative.com. Yeah. Do you know we got the bug initiative? No, I didn't know that. It redirects to beef initiative. No shit. Yeah, my, Matt bought the uh, domain. Really? It's a bug initiative. <laughs> This is how we make fun of them. It is. Yeah. We, Thank you. I didn't know that. You got a you got a bug and you you find the World Economic Forum trying to uh, tell you to eat bugs and you yeah. you tweet reply to them. Yes, if you want to find out more, go to buginitiative.com. I love that. This is how we win. Yeah. This is the fun we have. This is good trolling. It is. Yeah. It is. Oh, that's that's fascinating. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I've been busy, so yeah, I haven't been very good on social media or anything. Yeah, lately. you type uh, buginitiative.com. Everybody, buginitiative.com. That's perfect. Yes, spread it out, make it go viral. Yeah, <laughs> we need to reply guy all the people telling us to eat bugs with buginitiative.com. We do. Yes, it's fascinating. All right. Well, well done, sir. What a Friday. What a great way to end the week. It is. It is. And uh, well, I'm, I'm very happy because, you know, leaving here, like I said, I'm going to go down. Cole, and I need to say this, especially to everybody that's bought beef from, you know, the Beef Initiative and K&C Cattle. We're going through a transformation um, from one processing plant into the new one. Uh, we've <laughs> I quit talking about selling beef. Beef kept on going. Orders just are skyrocketing, which is good. This is what we want to be. But, you know, we're a little bit slow with the orders. It's not 48 hours. You know, we're a little bit behind. But, you know, this is the day that we get to say, here we go. So everybody have patience, low time preference, understanding, uh, and, you know, get ready because we're about to feed that nation. And me and Cole are about to go have a podcast. And we're going to, we're going to, this is, this is going to be, you know, the launch of something big. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. The bug initiative. The bug initiative. <laughs> well, Slim, as always, thank you for coming in. Thank you, my friend. Never my a brother. boring conversation. No. Hell no. And we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We're going to win. 
Well, yeah, we are already winning. Yeah. Some some of you guys might not know it, but we're already winning. Yeah. If you're uh, one of those people trying to get us to eat bugs, we're coming for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to win. We are. Peace and love, freaks. Pick